journey through a series of emotions as you watch those pictures. I heard a little bit of noise as they pass through. How many of you uh, passed judgment this morning? Just three of you? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard, and especially in today's world, with all the social media and networking and everything else, uh, for you not to have some, some idea of what, what's going on with these people and either you're opposed to them or you're for them or all that stuff that, that goes on. But the question you ask is, uh, of these people here, who would you talk to and who would you ignore if they walked into the bar here at Pinheads on Sunday morning? Who would you show favoritism to? And who would cause you to quit coming to Pinheads? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask for names. I didn't ask. You're just showing yourself. But I'll accept that. <laughs> That's so untrue. You guys would be going like that. You'd just be in awe if he walked in here. Uh, would, it, would it make any difference if they're believers or not? That's kind of a real question there. Shouldn't. Yeah, because, because I honestly think, uh, obviously, I'm assuming the majority of people in this room are believers in Jesus Christ. But if a non-believer comes in here and hears this message that there's at some point the Spirit will speak to them as well. I'm more interested in teaching the truth, teaching the Word, but knowing that uh, maybe you will get something from the Spirit from it, but so would a non-believer. At some point, maybe not the same same thing, but um, would it make a difference if they were cruel to others? Would that bother you? You wouldn't want them here? Hmm. You'd, you'd sure think about that. I'm just having you think this morning. Because James is, in his letter... This is what he's having to deal with. He's got uh, these socioeconomic uh, variances in his, his people. You've got the, the wealthy and you've got the very poor. And the poor have been uh, treated very unjust, very unjust. And so he's having to deal with it. He says, my brothers and sisters, I'll back up, Jim, to verse 1. My brothers and sisters... He's saying, fellow believers, these, these of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It says, in, hold faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, not of. It changes it if the word is of, as you hold on to the faith of our glorious, but you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that changes. If it's just the Lord doing it, then that means that we don't have to do it. If it's of the Lord, but if we're in Christ, all of a sudden uh, we have the ability not to show favoritism. It says, for if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy, talking like dirty, shabby, some of the translations say, clothes also comes in. And if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. The, the imagery that James is painting right there is he's providing this comfortable elevation for uh, the wealthy, the rich, and for those that are poor and determined, undeserving, you have to sit on the floor assigning this man a place in the dirt, which is in that day as crass as could be. It was just mean. You, you know, you probably don't think of it, but, I mean, you got nice little floors here, but they're sitting in the dirt. It's a different mindset. And this is what they were literally doing with their their people. It said, verse 4, Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I mean, think about it. If they're all believers, they're all coming just like you to... Uh, talk, to hear, to testify, to, to be taught, to worship, to, to do all these things, but there's so many different levels. There's a lot of different levels in here, but all pretty much the same, close. But the question that James is asking is, can favoritism or, or partially coexist with the glorious Faith of Christ. Can the two, favoritism and the faith of Christ, coexist? It's absolutely impossible. Uh, Special respect of persons based on their high social standing is anti-ethical to faith in God. To literally see people based upon what they're worth or even what they do You can never mix faith with partiality. If they do, it's just another way of being double-minded. When favoritism dominates, uh, the obedience of faith is compromised. It's undermined. Verse 5, it says this, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? and the heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. You see what God did right here? Didn't God choose the poor? James is literally saying that God differentiated right here. He did. He differentiated treatment. He preferred a treatment for the poor, but it was, it was really a demonstration of his intent to bestow grace upon them. Like a wealthy person, 
they probably depend upon their own their own doings, their own wealth, their own. But a poor person, uh, they have to become dependent upon God to provide for them. Seems kind of weird saying this whole message here in Hamilton County, doesn't it? One of the wealthiest counties in the country, maybe the world. I think uh, I sit there and I look at that verse, and didn't God choose the emphasis there? I focused on God's choosing, and it involves the grace of God. It, it, it's not it's not about salvation here at this point. If salvation were based upon merit, it wouldn't be by grace. And so it's not discussing salvation here, but grace implies right here that God's sovereign choice of those who cannot earn it and, and, and do not deserve his salvation. God saves us completely on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross and not because of anything that we are or have in our lives. And then there's always this pressing question that remains is the community of believers united around the principles of Christ rather than those of the fallen world and when I say the fallen world I'm talking about social media fashion whatever which one are we going to line up with Paul says to the the church at Corinth in first Corinthians he says this chapter 1 verse 26 brothers and sisters consider your calling He's describing the believers here in in Corinth. Not many were wise from a human perspective. This is the believers. This is the church. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you hear what he just said right there? He's like, the, the church at Corinth, they weren't, they weren't real impressive in society's eyes. They didn't have that much. They didn't do that much. They didn't leave an imprint on the world. But they were the ones that were able to see and hear Listen to this, the foolishness of God. The foolishness that he would send himself down to earth in the form of a baby, born in a manger. And he would grow up in the face of all the Pharisees and he would be the perfect sacrifice, this son of a carpenter who rode into town on a donkey It all sounds so foolish. And to the world, it is foolish. But to the church at Corinth, they figured it out. In verse 6 it says, Yet you have dishonored the poor. 
don't the rich oppress you, drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? And you think about it, if you're uh, called into court, you always think if you have more money than the other person anyway, because it's going to take a lot of money to get through this thing. It becomes a battle of wallets at that point. And this is literally what he's saying. If James is having to bring this concept to their attention, it's obviously something that they've done in the past, right? He's, he's sitting here addressing an issue that, look, look, look what you all are doing. And you can't even see it. And you've taken this, the, this book of James and you've, you, you, you've made it into uh, the law this is what we have to do when really James is just saying, all I want to do is point out what, what, what is happening amongst you. Seems, seems like it would be common sense if you have a new heart. If you have a new heart, you wouldn't be doing these things. But sometimes you have to teach common sense. Uh, look at these instructions that I found. Warning label on a wheelbarrow, not intended for highway use. Now, the only reason that they would put that on a wheelbarrow, somebody tried it. What about this one? Uh, Warning on a baby stroller, remove child before folding. Or this one, uh, warning label on a thermometer. Once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> you, common sense wouldn't tell you that? Uh, the jet ski, never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. <laughs> Someone has tried this. But uh, this is my favorite one on an underwear label. Always wash your butt. <laughs> like, <laughs> you see, sometimes you have to state the obvious because people just can't figure it out on their own. And I believe this is what James is doing here. You can take that one off. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. All of a sudden, he, he changes here. He changes his tone. James literally reached back into the Old Testament for one of God's laws. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which is found in Leviticus 19.18. But he calls it the royal law. In other words, it rules other, all the other laws. Think about this for a second. If you know the Ten Commandments found in Exodus, there's, there's obviously Ten Commandments. First four deal with God. I'm not going to sit here and go through them. Uh, and then the last six deal with people. Your mother and father and your neighbors and things like that. And when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he was definitely teaching the law, but when he taught, he took those thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and he said, do these two things. He took the Ten Commandments in, still teaching law, but he said this, do, 
do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said the second one, that was the first four commandments that he wrapped up in that verse right there. And then the last six he wrapped up, following that he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see what he did? He took four and six and he combined them into two and made it a very positive thing. Just do these things. Love God and love people. And so when James is sitting here saying, this is the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, he's really saying this is a positive thing. There would be no need for thousands of complex laws if we could just do the royal law. If we just truly loved our neighbors. You get that? Verse 9, it says, If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Here we go. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. If you take the old covenant, which is all law-based, and you try to adhere to all the laws that are in the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws in Leviticus, and everything else, and you obey all the laws but one, guess what? You are considered a lawbreaker. It just takes one just takes one for you to be a lawbreaker. And the, the beauty that that verse right there is in James, when everybody says, this is what James, this is, the, this is the Bible for how you're supposed to behave as Christians, James is. He's literally saying right there, if you take all the laws and you break one of them, you've blown it. It says, verse 11, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Verse 12. This, cha- this, cha- this changes everything right here. It says, speak and act as those, are, those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. You, you, most people will look at James and they'll go, oh, here's a book of do's and don'ts, but right there, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. What's the law of freedom? It's different than the law that was mentioned in verses 9 through 11. What is the law of freedom? We talked about it a little bit last week, but it's being obedient to the Spirit. I'm, I'm free, look, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm free. God's given me free will, given me free choice to do that. I can do that. But understand this, he took my old heart out and he put a new heart in, and now I'm learning to live out of that new heart. And in that new heart, there's a spirit that lives inside of me that teaches me and tells me what to do. And not only that, he says, I'll do it for you. you you've tried to do this your whole life and you've failed, but if you just let me do this for you, Obey means to act according to the Spirit. That's what it means. Act according to the Spirit. So I'm still making a choice. 
I'm making a choice whether to walk by my flesh and my own strength or I'm making a choice to be obedient to the Spirit, to follow the Spirit. And watch this. If I still have to do something, if I still have to do something, that's me doing it. So now I submit to a spirit. I use the word submit in a world where it's not accepted. I submit to a spirit inside of me. To literally live my life for me. I've already proved I can't do it in my own strength. Why wouldn't I trust the spirit? It's those moments when you trust the Spirit and something happens and you walked away and you go, what just happened there? Like, that's not how I would do it. I would have totally done it different in my flesh, but God just totally worked through me. It's, it's those moments. And verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, uh, failure to show mercy to those in need calls into question whether or not one is truly saved. That's what James is saying here. If you can't show mercy, if you can't show mercy for the one who needs mercy, one of two things has occurred there. Either you are working out of uh, an old stone heart and have never had salvation, or... You haven't learned how to live out of your new heart and you're acting out of your flesh. You got that? James is literally saying, if you can't show mercy, you're, you, it, there's a question of salvation there. But I don't question my salvation and you know sometimes I'm very low on the mercy scale. And the reason that is is because I'm walking in my flesh. I'm doing it myself. The importance of mercy in human relationships is so essential because mercy is a direct indicator of our repentance towards God. I don't, I don't show mercy so that everybody can see that I love God. I don't do it for that reason, but I show mercy because I've submitted to the Spirit who's doing it through me. I've had to learn how to submit to the Spirit so that mercy could come through Rusty. That's a big deal. Christian love does not mean that I must like a person and agree with him on everything. That's not going to happen. I don't agree with everybody in this room right here. It says, uh, you think about it, I, I may not like their vocabulary, I may not like their habits, I, I may not even want them as an intimate friend. But if I'm living out of my new heart and I'm submitting to a spirit, it's an act of will, not an emotion. 
being God's will. It's my new heart that allows me to show mercy. It, it comes from submission. This means that the, the power of the Spirit within, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, is the one that is leading my life. As I act in love towards another, I may find myself drawn more to him and I may see in him Christ qualities that were hidden to me. It's the developing of a relationship. I never know what the Lord's going to do with relationships. The true heart of others may be hidden in their own journey. But in your journey, the Spirit will lead you to love all without judgment. I showed you a series of pictures. And you probably passed judgment on them. But you never know what's truly going on in the life of others unless you get to know them. This video was filmed three weeks ago. I just didn't know what the heck was going on and so I really took a deep dive in my faith to be honest. I just went deep into like, I believed in Jesus but I never really like, you know, when it says following Jesus is actually turning away from sin and so there's no, what, what it talks about in the Bible, it's like there's no obedience. There's no faith without obedience. So it's like I had had faith about like, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but I never really implemented it mm. into my life. I never like was like, I'm going to be obedient. So when did you decide to actually move within the guidelines and how did you find yourself away from, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to drink or do drugs or sleep around or what, all these other distractions. How did you get out of that world? What was the turning point for you? I think it was my perception of who Jesus really was, you know. Um, I'd had really bad examples of Christians in my life uh, who would say one thing and do another. So they were the, my direct example of who Jesus was. That's why you didn't take it seriously. I didn't take it as seriously because I didn't have good examples. Good role models. Yeah. The way I look at my relationship with God and with Jesus is I'm not trying to earn God's love by doing good things. God has already loved me for who I am before I did anything to earn and deserve it. It's a free gift by accepting Jesus and just giving your life to him. And what he did is the gift. The forgiveness is the thing that we look at and, you know, I'm going to worship you, God, because you gave me something so good. Do you think that if you hadn't redefined what Jesus was and reclaimed it into something that was worthy of practice for you, which then led you on a path of reconciliation with your wife. Mm -hmm. Do you think the person that you, the you of then was on a path of self-destruction? Do you feel that you were on a you were self-destructing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would have for sure, one hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be alive for sure. It was dark, really dark. So I'm very, very grateful to have influences in my life that have played a huge part in me seeing their relationship with Jesus and their relationship with their wives and their relationship with their kids and saying, that's what I want mm. and um, striving after that. So Jesus wasn't this religious elite guy that, you know, came to, um, but he was, he was in the dirt and uh, he found me in my dirt 
and pulled me out. Like I said before, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower and uh, I just want to be led by when you accept Jesus, he says that now you walk with the Holy Spirit. So I think I just want to be led by, by the Holy Spirit. We're not really good at the end of the day, at the core, I don't believe. I don't believe the humans are good at, and people might you know, twist this and make me seem like I'm saying humanity's not good. I don't know. Tell you the truth. I just feel like at the core, I fight every day temptation and things that, you know, are instinctive to do, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, lie, be greedy, all these things that just naturally come, those naturally come. I got to fight to not be that. Uh, maybe humanity's, you know, it's, it's come to a place of being really, you know, it's, it's broken. I mean, it's just, just look around. I mean, the pain in this world, it's just so, it's like, it's obvious. And uh, people are looking for hope and they're looking for a way out and they're looking for an escape and they're looking for, um, they're looking for truth and they're looking for, um, yeah. And I'm just, uh, I've gotten the opportunity um, with my journey to just see a God who's accepts me, loves me. Um, they call him the savior. Um, and I believe that to be true mm. that Jesus saved me. Don't be so quick to pass judgment because you never know what's going on in a person's life. And who else who else is going to model for the world what Jesus is all about? How are they going to how are they going to know cuz people decide to go to church on Sunday mornings? Really? Maybe it's because you're learning to live out of your new heart and you're living your life and you're submitting to the Spirit, which leads you not to play favorites. Jesus, I, I trust your word, even in this room today, that uh, we really don't play favorites. That we can see each other for who we are in Christ, our identity in you. We trust that you've given us all new hearts and we're all the same. We're all the same. Your message is good for every person in this room. And so I, I trust that this week we can walk out there and we can be a light in the midst of a, a world that's full of fear and junk and expectations that you just use the the ones in this room right here to to be a light this week and i pray these things in jesus name amen